you know, you know, in this show we often talk about strange things, but I'm glad we brought up men's underwear. This could be like it's a whole important. Well, we're drinking. I, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> the Fred Minnick Show is brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Michters, by Heaven Hill Brands, and DraftKings. Enter Fred at DraftKings.com for a chance at millions of dollars in prizes with first deposit. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Fred Minnick Show. It's so good to be here. Uh, I tell you what, I'm still. I'm still fighting this doggone, um, I don't know what it is, but I got this, I've had this sore throat for like three weeks, and now, obviously, it, it's not COVID, been tested negative twice for that, but it, I was talking to my wife, who who works at a hospital here in Louisville, and she was like, you know, just because everything is all about COVID doesn't mean all these other sicknesses aren't going on, you know, you got the flu, you got the cold, you got strep. All these nasty things are still going around. And for the first time in my bourbon drinking career, bourbon did not fix whatever was bugging me. So get this. I had, um, you know, I've had this, like anytime I've had a cough or I had like a sore throat or something, I'd have a couple shots of bourbon. And I mean shots. I don't mean like sipping like I normally do. I'm talking about shots. I would like take a couple shots and boom, next day, free and clear of whatever was getting me. Well, this time I did that and I woke up the next day and my throat was like, it, it like expanded like four feet or something. It was like a frog was in there. And come to find out, it just, it, dry, it dried my throat out. So it was, it was a kind of a, it was kind of a depressing moment for me because I'm like, bourbon's not curing my, it's not curing my throat like it did before. I mean, I, I had a I had a nice look in the look in the mirror conversation with myself. Um, I had some therapy, you know. The bourbon bourbon didn't cure me. <laughs> of course, you should always see a doctor if you get sick. Fortunately, my wife is a nurse practitioner, and I and I basically am able to avoid a lot of doctors' visits. But um, it's probably the the man flu, uh, as she likes to say it. You know, uh, apparently. There's a thing going around with men, you know, we're a bunch of wimps when it comes to us being sick, and it's just just a man flu. But <laughs> that being said, I'm hoping to get back into my bourbon tasting regimen here very soon. So if you've if you've been missing my reviews on on YouTube and on FredMinnick.com, uh, rest assured, rest assured that they will be coming back as soon as my as soon as my throat's back in action. But uh, I also have some really big news, you know, so this this podcast is a venture with Podcast One, and I am so excited to tell you that, you know, DraftKings is a new sponsor of the Fred Minnick Show. Now, why, why is this so special to me? Why is this so important? Well, DraftKings is a big-time player in the media circuit. So if you watch any kind of sports, you watch any kind of... Uh, uh, mainstream television, you know, they're sponsoring there. And so to have uh, to have like a mega advertiser like DraftKings, that just kind of, it makes me feel proud that, you know, like, all right, we made it, you know, because the, the show, uh, the show is, is basically reaching their target audience, which is a bunch of uh, knuckleheads like me who like, who like football and, and crave football. And now, you know, now it's back, you know, we've got football, Back, we can turn on the TV Sundays, Mondays, Thursdays, a little bit on Wednesdays and occasional Tuesdays if you're a college fan. 
we can get back on TV and just sit on the couch, you know, crunch those potato chips and and eat and have a great time watching football. But here's the thing about DraftKings. You know, there's always it's always a little bit more enjoyable if you got some action in the game. And I'm not talking about necessarily just, you know, having a bookie on the side. Uh, DraftKings is giving all new players a free shot at a million dollars during one week. I mean, a million bucks, a million bucks. Think about that for a second. It's a million bucks in prizes. If you haven't tried DraftKings, this is the perfect time to test your strategy. You know, it's simple. You get in there, you pick your lineup, you stay under the salary cap, and you see how your team stacks up during the competition. You know, it's like there's a lot of excitement. You watch the game. And you get to see those players in action knowing that you've got a shot at winning huge cash prizes. And one of my favorite things is while you're perfecting your skills, your fantasy skills, you get to check out the DraftKings uh, free-to-play pools where there's even more cash up for grabs. You know, you got to head to the app right now. So go to DraftKings, uh, the DraftKings app now and use the code FRED. I'm telling you, folks. This is this is a big moment for the the Fred Minnick show, biggest uh, biggest show sponsor we've had, and when it comes to like advertising all across the board, and they're putting faith in me, they're putting faith in me. So if you can go to DraftKings, the DraftKings app and enter Fred for a limited time, new players can get a free shot at a million bucks during week one so during week one you got a shot at a million bucks so get in there and enter fred at checkout don't miss out on the action enter code fred to get a free shot at a million dollars in prizes with your first deposit that's code fred only at DraftKings, the official fantasy partner of the nfl minimum five dollar deposit required eligibility restrictions apply see draftkings.com for details that's code Fred, code Fred. And again, I'm so excited. I'm so excited about that because it's kind of like to me it's like I've, everything I've been doing is this is a this is kind of like a pat on the back for me to have a, a great sponsor, show sponsor like uh, DraftKings. So, and you know why I love your support. Every time that you all uh comment, give me a review, I do my best to to reply. And I like thanking you for your support on the Fred Minnick show. Um, by sending you stickers. So if you have not received a Fred Minnick Show sticker yet, go to fredminnick.com. That is fredminnick.com and click the contact button. Hit me up with your address saying you need a sticker. Just remember, do not put it, do not put it on like something that you're going to use in a criminal activity. So some kind of case that's to a weapon uh, or a car that you're going to use to rob a bank. Please Please do not use the sticker in a criminal activity because here's what's going to happen. They're going to they're not going to have any footage of you doing the deed. They're just going to see this Fred Minnick show sticker and they're going to call me up and I'm going to start getting interrogated by the FBI. I don't need that. And it's happened before. I don't need that. So I will say that I will send you a sticker on the agreement that you won't use it in criminal activity. But we have an incredible show for you this week. I am uh, so excited about this because you know I like to interview. I like to interview people who are first of all interesting. This show is not it. You know, bourbon is a conduit to interesting conversation, and 
I love interviewing musicians because they're always thinking about words. They're always thinking about like the next hit or whatever. So they think very creatively. I also like interviewing athletes because athletes put a lot of work into what they do. And oftentimes they will have researched the products before I interview them. You know, great case and points have been like Peyton Manning, uh, and Sue, Charles Woodson, incredible interviews, and from a, from a knowledge perspective, and so I like I like having conversations with with people of of intellect, if you will, of interesting backgrounds and what have you. And so Dan Granger is is one of those people that owns a owns an ad firm called Oxford Row Road, Oxford Road in Los Angeles. And you hear all of these like uh, ads on like Hulu, uh, the Dollar. Sh- you hear ads from like Dollar Shave Club, Legal Zoom, all these ads that you hear all over the place. You know, Dan is behind those, so he is one of these kind of like insider tech gurus, and I found him absolutely fascinating. Also, a history buff, and we got to go into some details of American whiskey history that I've not gone on on this show. Now, these are things that you could have read in my books in the past, but this is not something I have ordinarily talked about because usually when I'm talking to somebody, they just want to know, is the whiskey any good? Is the rum good? Uh, But in fact, we talked about a lot of history. So if you're a history dork like me, you're going to love this interview. And we talked a lot about Teddy Roosevelt. I mean, Dan might just write a novel on Teddy Roosevelt. Who knows? But what a great conversation we had. And it took place at the Nashville Barrel Company uh, during the podcast movement um, conference. So a big shout out to Nashville Barrel for hosting us. And thank you to uh, Podcast One for setting this up. And again, I have to say it again. I have to say it again. How honored I am that DraftKings is now a sponsor of the Fred Minnick Show. So make sure you go to DraftKings.com. Download the app. And enter Fred for a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. And the minimum deposit is $5. And that would be a $5 deposit toward the success of this uh, podcast show. So thank you so much for doing that in advance. And now, enjoy the interview with a word from the rest of our sponsors. People want a great whiskey that isn't like every other whiskey. So nestled in the shadow of Pikes Peak, 291 Colorado whiskey is distilled from grain to barrel to bottle. Exceptional Western whiskey, unlike any other. Passion permeates every sip. Utilizing grains from the Colorado Plains, water collected from Pikes Peak Reservoirs, and finished with Aspen Staves, 291 Colorado Whiskey is an award-winning single-barrel and small-batch whiskey. Hard made the Colorado way. Our recipe, our stills, independent and always rugged, refined, and rebellious. 291 Colorado Whiskey is proud of its humble roots and excited as we expand to new frontiers. Get your taste of Colorado at 291ColoradoWhiskey.com. Online orders available or find a bottle near you. Ride it like you stole it. Drink it like you own it. Live fast. Drink responsibly. At Michter's Distillery, our passion is making the finest bourbon, rye, and American whiskey possible. When you only produce very small batch and single barrel whiskey as we do, each and every barrel has to be perfect. No detail is too small for our production team. 
from careful attention to the 18-month or more air-dried wood used in the construction of our barrels, to entering our distillate into the barrel at the costlier or lower barrel entry proof of 103 so that it's smoother, to heat cycling our barrel houses, to our signature filtration protocol, we spare no expense in pursuing our goal of making the greatest American whiskey. And no Mictors gets bottled until our master distiller Dan McKee and our master of maturation Andrea Wilson say it's just right. Mictors Fort Nelson Distillery in downtown Louisville, Kentucky is open for tours and tastings. Book your visit on our website and stop by the bar at Fort Nelson for a world-class cocktail. For more information, follow us on social media at Michter's Whiskey, go to michters.com, or visit your favorite bartender. Michter's Distillery. It's all about the whiskey. Mike Hines here, founder of Natural Barrel Company. Hey, look, I invested my life savings into drinking bourbon, and damn it, I want to drink a bourbon with you. Come see me at Natural Barrel Company, just minutes from downtown Nashville. Must be 21 Danner. Heaven Hill Distillery has been lifting America's spirits since 1935. They celebrate American whiskey's rich traditions, guide its evolution, and champion its exciting future. For Heaven Hill, whiskey is more than a profession. It's a personal passion that is poured into every bottle shared with newcomers and aficionados alike. So whether you enjoy the simple pleasure of Evan Williams bottled in bond or savor the uniquely satisfying experience of a rare single barrel bourbon like Elijah Craig, 18 year old, you'll find a home at Heaven Hill. If you wanna learn more about the craft and techniques of making quality American whiskey, check out educational resources and sign up for their newsletter at heavenhilldistillery.com. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Cheers. Hey, I got uh, Dan Granger here from Oxford Road. What's up, man? Hey, how are you? You doing all right today? I'm doing great. This is a this is a fun way to do an interview. I'm excited. So, so uh, you are a bourbon fan. I am. I Tell am. Tell me about your bourbon journey. How'd you get into it? Well, it's funny. I uh, so so I decided I I uh, wanted to be a grown up uh, in my probably mid twenties, and I I went. I remember going to Bevmo and getting a bunch of little sample bottles. Yeah. And then writing down what I thought of each of them as I as I tested them because I wanted to, I wanted to go beyond like I'm just like okay vodka tonic vodka tonic. That's I'm like smart. I need to grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And so I went and I started getting on the whiskey train. Mm-hmm. And I started doing a little bit of the scotch, and then I started tasting some bourbon, and I'm like, this one's my favorite right of on. all of them. Now, probably, oh gosh, seven years ago, I came to Nashville for the first time, mm-hmm. and I was uh, fortunate enough to get invited to uh, Dave Ramsey's house. Okay, yeah. And he turned me on to Blanton's. Oh boy. And that ruined me. Oh boy! And after that, it was like I, there's there's very little that I can enjoy yeah. after he did that to me. But well, uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, but but it's hard to get right now. You know, and the funny thing is, is probably when you got when he gave you that taste of Blanton's, yeah, you could find it in the store, mm-hmm. and it would be the regular price that it was supposed to be forty bucks. Yeah, yeah. So now people. So now retailers are marketing it out for like 200 bucks, and it is just not worth it for that price. It's Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> right? Blanton's it's a, Bitcoin. It's the, it's the real Bitcoin, yeah. I love that. Well, I'm going I'm to start you out uh, with, a, with a bottled and bond uh, uh, 2020 mm-hmm. from Old Fitzgerald. Okay. 
This, came, this was uh, from the spring of last year. Now, bottled and bond is one of those really historic terms in, um, in bourbon. Grover Cleveland signed a bill in 1897 that guaranteed consumers that their bourbon would be four, at least four years old, 100 proof, distilled at one distillery, one distilling season, and nobody could mess with it. Why, this, why did the government have anything to do with that? The government really cared about the whiskey you drank back then because it was your medicine. Mm-hmm. You know, doctors were prescribing whiskey to take care of every form of uh, every form of disease. In fact, whiskey was one of the main treatments for the Spanish flu. And, uh, you know, to this day, you will hear old school, like Eastern Kentucky doctors talking about how met, uh, whiskey can be a kind of a cure-all. Now, a lot of things, you know, transpired to where the whiskey distillers are not allowed to, you know, talk about their... Claim the medical, medical benefits, benefits of... And the reason why, and this is also going back to, like, the government caring about you with whiskey, mm-hmm. the precursor to the FDA was a Pure Food and Drug Act that was sought after by Teddy Roosevelt. Mm. And they pursued this in part because of vaccines and rancid meat from preservatives. Well, but he was, was a teetotaler, yeah, and we, his brother died of alcoholism. That's right. So he probably wanted to uh, regulate that more than the others. The, the big thing was that whiskey brands who are claiming to be medicinal uh-huh. were making all of these false claims. You know, so there was a brand called Duffy's Pure Malt Whiskey, uh-huh. and they would get they would buy a full page newspaper ad claim that you would live to be 162 if you drank their whiskey that they could cure cancer and my favorite is that they could cure ugliness so they made all of these claims and the american medical association and all of these uh hospitals were boycotting them uh and roosevelt was like no more of this and so the pure food and drug act basically got rid of Uh, people being able to make false claims about about their whiskey and to this day that law forbids people from putting the term pure p-u-r-e mm-hmm. on a spirits label mm-hmm. unless it's like in a trademark like pure kentucky or pure jamaican pot still or something like that but yeah so there's a uh, prior to the seat belt uh prior to like uh restrictive stop signs and stop lights the government cared about the whiskey you drank and here we are. Here we are. That's <laughs> awesome. And this is a sample bottle. This normally comes in a decanter. This is uh, like a, a sample straight from the distillery. Okay. So cheers to you, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. This Absolutely. is a good one. Mm. Now, Oxford Road is is an incredible, wow. um, incredible company. I mean, you... You uh, you mentioned Dave Ramsey. You you got a little play in with you know Joe Rogan a little bit. You kind of a thing in podcasting. Tell us about Oxford Road and and what you all are sure. up to these days. Sure, sure. So a quick backstory. I, I was a weirdo um, that was starting to work in entertainment and fell in love with talk radio early two mm-hmm. thousands and uh, found out you could sell it. Uh, so that was my entry point in, and I I was a uh, uh, salesperson for uh, what was then the largest talk radio station in America, KFI 640 in Los Angeles. And I sold spots and I found out if you sell somebody an ad unit, you get to write it. And I thought that was pretty cool. So um, anyway, had a good run with them for about 10 years. But while that was going on, 
the internet was you know right. really evolving and we started to see blogs and the prol proliferation of all this content uh, really the barriers to entry were coming down no program directors low cost full distribution mm -hmm. and I knew that that was going to disrupt radio and so I started kind of kicking the tires on the business piece of it um, and trying to be like an early champion for it, went and pitched the, the executive team at what was Clear Channel at the time, what is now iHeart, and it was a little too early, right? So, so I tried a few programming initiatives, actually had a podcast in like 2010, 11, um, but really couldn't figure out a way to make it commercially viable so that I could leave my current career and move into it until 2013. We started putting people in places like Adam Carolla and Leo Laporte, some of the real early players. Mm -hmm. And you know what we found out was that it was magic for advertisers. You know, everything's an endorsement. You don't have these big commitments and just a very passionate, loyal audience. And so we kind of got to ride two waves at the same time on one side you had the evolution of podcast as a new distribution vehicle. And then on the other side, you had this direct to consumer revolution happening. So like we mm -hmm. got to work with Dollar Shave Club, their first offline campaign that they paid for, uh, LegalZoom, uh, ZipRecruiter, Blue Apron, MeUndies, like a lot of the early players, we got into that. And I the, bought me undies based did on you? listening to a podcast, Mark Schlereth podcast. Okay, he was advertising me undies, so they, that was like one of their big strategies. I, I, so. Well, they they've got a good product, but you know you should also try Tommy John, which is uh, our partner today, and we're very happy with them. If you haven't done Tommy John, uh, I, I don't wear anything else anymore. What's that? It says time for a switch. Time for the switch. You know, when, you know, you know. On this show, we often talk about strange things, but I'm glad we brought up men's underwear. This could be like it's a whole important. Well, we're drinking. I we'll see where this goes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's fascinating because podcasts. So, so my background. I'm a writer. I've written yeah. seven books. Uh, I'm a former journalist. Um, uh -huh. I was an army journalist, and you know, feel free to fix it. Do you it. mind? Yeah, yeah let's Sorry, fix it. I don't want to interrupt. I just want to raise yeah. it a little bit. My posture is bad enough. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, these, are the, these are the sure mics. They can take whatever you give them. So, cool. So I get into, um, I'm all about you know writing, and I'm starting to see yeah. the winds of change as a writer. And I was writing for a magazine called Whiskey Advocate, and... Uh, and I was their lead reviewer and like nobody was reading my reviews like nobody it's mm -hmm. just like they the magazine circulation was very good and all that but it's mm -hmm. just like the 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 reach of of the written word was dying on a vine mm -hmm. and I'm at a conference tales of the cocktail and I'm just ordering a cocktail and this guy comes up to me and he says, are you Fred Minnick? I'm like, yeah, and it's not unfamiliar for me to be recognized for my books or, mm -hmm. you know, some TV appearances or something. But he's like, I recognized your voice. And I was like, what? I was like, that was kind of weird. You know, it was at the time of like Snowden coming out and everything. It was always mm. kind of creeped me out a little bit. He's like, yeah, I heard you on Bourbon Pursuit. Mm. And now, and I was like, I got to get into podcasting. And so I partnered yeah. with the Bourbon Pursuit boys and uh, still a, a, a part of that. And now, you know, I got my own show where I, where I drink bourbon with people. And now part of Podcast One, which is kind of like, it's kind of like a dream for me because, you know, so many podcasts are like independent to have like, you know, the backbone of Podcast One with me now. It's, it's pretty incredible. But I've had, I've had, what I have found out is that, you know, people, 
have when you when you connect with a podcast listener it is unlike any other form of medium i mean you you have them they hang on to your every word it's even more than like npr is it's like right. you have an incredible consumer right then and there well i agree with you and um you know podcast one deserves a lot of credit because they went in early uh norm pattis uh, and and uh, Kit Gray were were pioneers at this. And by the way, you know we're repped by the same. We're both in the Podcast One network because we do the media roundtable on Podcast One as well. Um, but y- you're exactly right. See, so here's what I noticed when I was in terrestrial radio, which was you know FCC, and you could only have a signal that was so mm-hmm. much. Um, they had to play hits. In other words. You know, music had to be like top 40 or, you know, only the most popular songs. You couldn't get into niche music. And then on the talk side, they kind of did the same thing. It's like your sports, your conservative talk radio or your Air America or NPR. But like you couldn't talk about whiskey. Right. And so what podcasts allowed you to do is create a community from across the world where you were no longer. It didn't have to be in the top 40 in your local market because you could kind of expand what local really means and build a tribe of people that have a common interest and have a depth of, of analysis and discussion about things that would have never had a distribution platform to really talk about. And so, yeah, no, I'm super passionate about it. And it's, uh, it's really been a revolution uh, for, uh, for, 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 what it, for the spoken word. And you, and you study analytics and in uh, I've seen so many different forms of analytics sure. when it comes to podcasting sure yeah and it's like some of it make doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> tell me like, what you mean like so you have you, you know you'll have like uh, you know one platform is telling you uh, one version of analytics and then like the core platform like app Apple and Spotify completely different oh yeah you know so yeah, there, yeah. there seems to be like it's still a wild west yeah yeah i mean there it's getting organized i mean like i'm out here right now for the podcast movement conference right and you know this is how the west was won right it's like it starts with a with a boom town and you know people start coming because they're uh they're after something and then and then but infrastructure comes over time regulations come over time and you know the bummer about it is the more built out it gets, the the more it starts to lose some of the early magic that brought yeah. us to it, right? It's and so when you can see more balance. corporations get into it, the independent kind of structure gets into it. You can't really build a big independent right yeah. now. It's hard, right? It, it probably could be done, but it's hard to to break through. And now you have Amazon, you know, paying three hundred million dollars for a network and. Spotify paying hundreds of millions of dollars and mm-hmm. 90 million to pick up a show that started a year ago. I mean, it's uh, the industry's real hot right now. It'll be interesting to see where it lands. Now, where is the where is the the, the state of governmental regulation? Because there's there's no real regulation on there. But if you go to Threshold Radio, you uh, get your hand slapped for doing what we're doing right I'll now. T- I'll tell you, that's true. Um, yeah, we should we should enjoy while we can. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, I think the government's attention is on Facebook right now. Mm-hmm. You know, I think social media is what's getting all the attention. But it's interesting. So I came straight over here from giving an address to the industry about something I feel is very important, um, and, and that is, um, <clears throat> you know, these platforms that don't have all those gatekeepers. Like mm-hmm. the beauty of no FCC 
is like you can you can experiment you can get into things that weren't possible before the downside is that i can say anything about anybody into my phone post it and there's nobody actually filtering it which can do a tremendous amount of damage and sure. you know if you look at what's happened in this country uh over the last 10 to 20 years and then in the last year and a half um there is so much division and so much loss of trust in institutions that people are starting to get a little crazy yeah and you know what my message to the to the industry today was look do we want to start taking responsibility for ourselves and developing protocols that we're going to self-impose or do we want to wait for the fcc to do it to us because they will get there eventually yeah, yeah. we're not public enemy number one right now that's mark zuckerberg but for which they are into podcasting now too like, yeah they're into podcasts now too that's yeah. right that's right which you know i that's cool uh, more distribution, right? More ways to promote and, and reach people. But but they're getting all the heat right now. We're not. I don't think we're important. I don't think we're, we're big enough yet mm-hmm. to uh, to to. It's a get them to set it's, their gaze upon us. They'll it's get a personality-driven kind of uh, uh, genre. Like every time you know Joe Rogan says anything, it kind of it can take up a, a news cycle. He's a bellwether for sure, for sure. And look, I think the industry. Sometimes I think that the the earned media that podcast gets is probably worth more than all of the advertising dollars and revenue <laughs> streams put together. I yeah. mean, it's really amazing because yeah. it taps into these passions, right? Like yeah. we, we, you really get this uh, evangelical type of uh, conviction that people have in this content. They're very attached to it. Um, but you know, there, there's good and there's bad with that. It's like, we have a ton of freedom right now. But if we don't use that very well, I hope they're not dropping barrels on us. Oh, well, they're – so we're a Nashville barrel company right now, and you can hear the forklift bringing barrels back and forth right above there. So How many corks are between us and those barrels? Oh, we'll be fine. And if, you know – if we if it collapses, oh, we're drowning. Sorry, in it's, it's, there could be worse ways <laughs> to go, right? <laughs> so so let, let's let's take a look here at the old Fitzgerald yep. bottled and bond. Yeah, twenty twenty. You've been sipping on it a little bit here. What do you think? I'm actually a little shocked. I've not had this before because it's some of the best stuff I feel like I've had. Oh wow! Now to be fair, I don't know. I know what I like. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about. Like well, the science of it, I you well, know I can't, I can't the... tell you oaky, buttery. You know that I can't <laughs> I can't give you that type of analysis, but I can tell you I like it. Well, perhaps this is the beginning of a journey to yes. that education. Ah. You got my book, Bourbon Curious. Thank that's going to help you uh, get down that road. <laughs> but also, you got me. So let's get let's break this down. Okay. So you know when we when we analyze bourbon, it's really important you kind of study the color. Yep. You know because when it goes into these barrels, it's clear as the water from your tap. So every really? every single day it's in that wood. It's working in and out. So it comes off the still, it's clear. You know, completely clear. And they put it in the barrel and by law it has to go into a new charred oak barrel. So bourbon is a type of whiskey that always has to go into a new charred oak barrel. Irish whiskey, Canadian Wait, whiskey. Wait, what type of barrel? New charred oak barrel. New charred oak. Yeah, barrel. so what they will do Got is it. they form the barrel and they hit it with like you know, on average, 55 seconds of pure, unadulterated flame. It's yep. like, like a fucking torch. Yeah. And it chars that inside, and it gives it kind of like an alligator skin. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, they caramelize the wood. So when it gets that whiskey gets in there, 
that wood is that those wood sugars are active and you works in and out of that barrel gets all that flavor all the color comes from the barrel mm -hmm. so the barrel these guys right here you know you can see you can see a little bit of the wood sugars leaking out of this one mm. it's kind of hardened a little bit uh but you will see you know that whiskey will uh will leak out from time to time and it will self-seal like mm -hmm. the sugars will self-seal mm -hmm. but um so that is that's a that's a the most important aspect of the process it always mm -hmm. has to be predominantly corn okay and so corn is you know when it's distilled they will also add like wheat or or rye and barley mm -hmm. this one has wheat and wheat tends to wheat and corn together tend to be a little softer mm -hmm. um and this one's got some you know this one's aged for nine years which eight to twelve years old is a sweet spot you know, eight to twelve for this particular distillery okay so this is made at heaven hill and so when you smell it after you kind of analyze and appreciate the color yep. the darker it is the older it is and the higher the proof really and, and then when you smell it well, i'm sorry it, uh, no. so as it ages the proof goes up it depends on where it's stored it's not always the case but usually it is so if there is a if there's a a concrete floor uh -huh. uh, you know often the proof goes up depends on what part of the rack it's aged in uh if there is like uh like a dirt floor mm -hmm. and there's a low depth to the dirt so the barrels are up here and there's a low depth down here the proof has gone down mm -hmm. so someone will in the past people have put whiskey in at 110 proof and it'll come out of the barrel at 89 proof because mm. it, it kind of like that that uh, dampness down kind of absorbs some of that um, some of that uh, proof. But it is a it is a science that, that we still study, and it's it's as much mystery and art as it is you know as science at this point. Mm. But uh, they stopped kind of studying this at a high level when bourbon when bourbon started uh, losing its you know, market share in the 60s. Mm -hmm. All these companies were studying this Bourbon stuff. Bourbon started losing its market share in the 60s. Yeah, it lost its, yeah, it lost its market share to, uh, to vodka. And so huh. it's one of the reasons why I say vodka sucks. Yeah. Is because it historically, you know, took a sledgehammer to bourbon. Yeah. And, um, and so when they, when, when it started losing its market share, there started being less interest in studying it and how it, uh, what the effects are, but now all the interest coming back, and these oh, companies yeah. are, you know, they've got everything from like uh, sensors inside the barrel that are studying it. They're studying them in all different temperatures right now. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of really cool things happening. Uh, so tell me about the resurgence because it feels like in the last decade it's making a comeback. Now I don't know if that's me paying attention finally or if that's like a market. Force. Well, it all came back, you know, when you got on board at Dave Ramsey's house. There. I think that's what did that's, it, that's for sure. That's the moment. But no, uh, we are influencers, yeah. <laughs> it really, the story of Bourbon's return uh, is really linked to the Japanese. Huh. In the 1980s, the Japanese were, they were the only real uh, plus to Bourbon's growth. And so you had all of these products being developed to a very thirsty Bourbon country. Blanton's was actually created to capitalize on the Japanese market. It comes out in 1984 as the first single barrel, the first mainstay single barrel, and it was created for the Japanese. Huh. Small batch like Booker's, Knob Creek, those were created for the Japanese as well. So you have single barrel 
and small batch, both created to capitalize on the Japanese uh, thirst for bourbon. Okay, okay, so hold on. Can you dispel something that I was told? Sure. So I was told <laughs> that Blanton's was um, from a distillery that was, during Prohibition, like the only prescribed bourbon that was legal to be treated as a cure-all ah, um, because so, they voted it into like so it was it was not the only one but it was one of many that was allowed to be prescribed uh, and when you say it it was an earlier iteration of it or are we are we talking packaging or are we talking product uh we're t- the facility so okay. the facility that makes uh blanton's now yeah uh, you know then it was it was George T. Stagg Distillery was, okay. or you know, later Ancient Age. Okay. Uh, but that would be they were indeed uh, putting out whiskey that was going into uh, the medicinal world. So if you're during Prohibition, yep. if you were sick in in a state that allowed it, so states were some states restricted. So like Indiana, West Virginia didn't yeah. allow doctors to do this. But if you were in a state that allowed you to have a whiskey prescription, mm-hmm. you go in there and get a whiskey prescription. Uh, in fact, I have some. Uh, prohibition era wow. you know you know medicinal receipts and the whiskey you could also get cocaine uh, yeah. heroin opium cannabis i mean it was a hell of a time to be sick wow yeah prohibition prohibition yeah it's good with a doctor's note with a doctor's note you could get yourself uh, a lot of uh, a lot of goods there wow um, and it was uh it's incredible the things that uh hey all right yeah yeah we're we're going but we can cut that part <laughs> What's up, man? I'm good sorry, to see you. No, it's all straight. good. It's you all want good. a whiskey? We want what we got. We want what we got. I don't want to. I don't want to interrupt, man. All right. You guys do your thing. You guys keep rolling. Okay. Okay. It's all good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Feels good. You feel free to if you want to grab a chair and hang if you can if you want. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So during so prohibition. Uh, you know, places like the Stag Distillery had whiskey that would go into medicinal purposes. All right, so was the whole thing just a racket? I mean, was it basically, if you had money and connections, you could drink like it was nothing, and you show them your doctor's note, whereas... They, well, I mean, it was, you know, so you still had law enforcement that really re- restricted them, and the distilleries were the real victims during this time. Sure. Because they would get robbed by the bootleggers. Mm-hmm. So when they were re- taking truckloads, they would get robbed. Uh, when they had, they would, um, you know, they got less money. Mm-hmm. They couldn't market. They couldn't make any, you know. So they were, if they were trying to do it right back then, which mm-hmm. there were many distillers who were not doing it right, they would actually get caught up in the bootlegging scandals. Sure. And so, you know, during that time, it was it was not uh, it was not a good time to be a legitimate trying to be above board distiller. You know, fortunately for many of them, this isn't the business of choir boys. You know, this is a whiskey business. So I've heard. And uh, and you know they have, they had their hands in many different things. They figured it out. Question for you, mm-hmm. Joseph P. Kennedy, bootlegger or not? Uh, everything that I have in my research says yes, and really? I know and I know Daniel Okren, uh, uh, an uh, iconic author, uh, would disagree with me on that. Okay, uh, but um, I happen to be a you know a pretty particular whiskey historian, uh-huh. and there were definitely there was definitely a Fitzgerald bootlegger of uh, some Scotch and some Irish whiskey products. 
uh, on the East Coast. Honey Fitz. What's that? Relation. Yeah. Fitzgerald. And there, this this stuff here. This we still. Oh, wow. So we still don't know. Uh, who, so there's actually a connection between this one and the. Well, we don't really know what Fitzgerald this was named after. There are three Fitz, particular Fitzgeralds that kind of fit the bill. One of them was like a tax collector uh-huh. who was kind of taking whiskey. Uh, another one was like a salesperson. Uh, who was, you know, Fitzgerald was a very, very uh, common name. But, you know, we, there was a lot of bootlegging going on from prominent people. And in the whiskey business, so, uh, you, know, you know, the healthcare distribution company McKesson? Okay. You're familiar with them? So they're one of the big drug yeah, distributors yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were originally called McKesson and Robbins, and they were whiskey dealers. And they ended up having one of the big, one of the first, uh, one of the big first like SEC scandals, and it changed like how you can get investments from from individuals. SEC scandal, like yeah, securities. And you know why that happened? You know why we got the SEC, right? The Ponzi scheme or uh, uh, Joseph P. Kennedy? Well, sh- <laughs> no, for real. Yes, hey, yes, you know it all. The deal. It all comes back. It all comes back. It all comes back. Roosevelt said, "If we want to catch a crook, we need to, you know, have one." So he had him build the whole that's practice. Right. Yeah. Right? Anyway, that's cool. I had no idea there was a connection there. It, early and on, I've heard, and I've seen it debunked, or I've heard people try to debunk that he was associated. But that's that's fascinating. There, there are there are a lot. There's a lot of paper trails, mm-hmm. you know, that have not been exact, you know, that haven't been burned. And um, and I and look, I know people, even now companies that have connections to this stuff. Yeah. They don't necessarily like, like uh, like bringing it up, but it's but it, amongst sense. us whiskey well, historians, we're here to bring it up for you. Right? Yeah, amongst us whiskey historians, which are several of us, uh, the answer from all of us would be yes. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, final thoughts on this one. Uh, I want more of it. <laughs> That's my final thought. All right, before we go to to more, wait, hold uh, on. Where do right. I get it? How do I get it? Um, so this is a this is this is a, a release that comes out twice a year, uh-huh. spring and fall. And I think they may have a summer edition, but I think they're just spring and fall. But it's usually an eight, nine. You know, they've had a seventeen-year-old release. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's been a thirteen-year-old, but it, you know, you gotta if you're in the game of buying bourbon. You got to find a liquor store that you really like, spend all your money there, hmm. and make sure he knows what you want. My bourbon buying game is weak. And I'm in California, so like we're the hey. last to get stuff. Well, you know, I can tell you five stores in the San Diego area that would take care of you. Hook me up. I'll, Do, I'll, yeah. will, they, will they ship it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. California's uh, laws are really uh, liberal for shipping. Great. Ship anywhere. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to. Uh, we're gonna. I don't want to. I could stay with this. We could go in that same flavor profile, of uh, of wheat of weeded bourbons, um, but I think what I'm going to do, is I'm going to take you back. So this is, this is a a really rare bottle. This is from uh, this is Lawrenceburg Eagle Rare. So this is prior to it going over to what is now the Buffalo Trace Distillery. Okay. 
And the year on this... Well, it's positive. It's... Yeah, 70, 78. 78. So this was uh, my birth year, 1978. Mm -hmm. So when this was bottled, so it had been distilled. Okay. Distilled in um, 1968. Wow. Wow. So, well, you said 8 to 12 years is the sweet spot, right? Yeah. And I'm looking it, it, at how it varies, dark it is. It varies by distillery. Okay. And then when you, when you smell, I didn't get to this earlier, but when you smell, smell with your mouth open, you'll be able to pick up more than just the alcohol fumes, and you can taste it sometimes on the way out. And then when you put it on your palate... Let's put a little bit on your palate and focus first on what part of the tongue is it hitting because you'll get the sweet spot, sweet notes on the tip of your tongue, savory like cornbreads, pie crust, things like that in the middle. Huh. And then you'll get spice in the back and you'll get bitterness between the back and the middle and also along the sides. So giddy up. Mmm. Mm talking to me I like when there's like a progression of different experiences happening after you drink it you know what I mean yeah um, but wow there's just a lot I, I have to learn about this stuff well, and you, you get your bank account ready because yeah. it's it, you know it's can you time. tell me what this stuff costs uh, that bottle right there yeah. is probably going. It's it, you can only get it at auction. It's really? probably between eight hundred and two thousand. What? What about the last one? Uh, that one is. That one is. Hmm. What is that? It's it's gone between. You know, in most circumstances, between two hundred and five hundred. Oh, so this is real. That's that's why. <laughs> Okay. Well, I don't. People who That's come on my why. show, I mean, I'm not. I had, no, I've never been treated so. I'm well. not. Thank I'm you. not bringing out Rodka <laughs> stuff, you know. I uh, okay. I mean, if you want to taste something bad, I could probably. No, no, I'm I'm fine. You know, We're doing okay. Even yeah. even like what would be the the worst bottle up here would would still be good. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't bring anything bad. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. So now I want to kind of explore your flavor profile. You okay. like you like these two. Yep. But tell me what you like. Um, what you like about this one? Oh, that was it in the last one. And tell me what was in the last one that you liked about. It's like when somebody one. asked me to describe my feelings. I'm like, uh, well, this I is, don't know. This is a therapy. <laughs> this is actually a. Therapy I know. Session. I know. When you know when you drink with someone. Let me tell you what I like about it. Let me tell. You. Hold on. I'm going to be honest with you. I like the other one better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like one of my favorite things about something like this is when you're drinking it, I'm not good at giving words to what I am physically experiencing. But you like I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I got words for a lot of things. I'm not good at explaining what I'm feeling, but I, I can tell you that I am experiencing it in mm -hmm. a way that is that is different and i mean i don't know what tell me tell me what i should I be can't, feeling well i can't tell you how to feel does it taste the same to me as it does to you well since we're different human beings no okay because everybody has a different palate i mean can you be like taste colorblind or like how does that work 
Uh, so some people do have like genes for tasting and smelling, uh-huh. you know, that others do not. But uh-huh. it's a matter of like training as well. Like I've got 15 years of training my palate for this stuff. Yeah. And I just know that I know the flavor profile on this. This is what we would call a dusty. Okay. So there's particular notes that it's stuff pre uh, pre nineteen eighty five, you yes. know, is that you just pick up different. Mm-hmm. There's different yeast. Um, there's different yeast, different corn, often first growth wood. You know, the water was different. There were no computers attached to the creation of this. You know, there's a lot of different elements that go into making the whiskey of yesterday than there is today. Today is much more scientifically and automated. Yeah, and you know. 50 years ago, you'd have someone going and putting their finger in the mash and then tasting it. it still happens today. Yeah. But that was one of their, you know, techniques to find out if it was ready to go into that next phase. Whereas now they have like a computer that says, okay, move it from tank A to tank B. You know? Yeah. So if, if, so if it was 150 years ago, it was like Old West and we go into the saloon and we order a whiskey. Like, is it shitty? Is, oh. it, is it like... If we're talking... Have, have things evolved... To such an extent, is it like technology in yeah. terms of how this stuff keeps pace? So we everything is swill from a hundred years well, ago. Well, not everything. Okay, like if you got some from E. H. Taylor yeah. or uh, Old Crow back then, it yeah. would be great. But uh, you remember the bottom bond act I was telling you about earlier? Yeah. So one of the big things pushing to it to make sure that the whiskey was was not tainted with is because people called rectifiers would add stuff like rattlesnake heads, tobacco spit, prune juice. They would get a barrel from a distillery and they would cut it and change it and do their own mark on it. And and a lot of things were to change the color and rattlesnakes and rattlesnake heads and things like that were used quite often in the West. Wait a minute, why do I need a rattlesnake head in my bourbon so that I can so it it changes the color? That was the best way to do for food coloring? Also it was like a filter. You know, okay. so like you, uh, like even like in Vietnam now, uh-huh. they put snakes in uh, in their whiskey there, because it'll it'll filter out like their their uh, tissue will absorb some of uh, the higher alcohols, which will give you. Is headache. that why the worms in the tequila? Uh, the worm in the the worm is in the tequila out of tradition, uh, but that is using animal flesh in spirits is uh, is is a form of filtration of, of the most rudimentary sense. Huh. Yeah. Okay. But uh, and that's why, like you eat that, you eat that worm. You're sick. For, you're sick for days. If okay. You that. But most tequila. So don't today. eat the worm. I would not recommend eating. Okay. The thank worm. you. Yeah. I'm learning a lot today. Well, I'm here for you on thank that you. side. I appreciate that. Uh, but back then, like if you got a whiskey, we go in a place in 1850 and got a and got a whiskey. I mean, it could be a bad day. Yeah. You know? So and also people, there's a reason why we had a prohibition. People drank too much. They drink bad alcohol. And, and, you know, we have a lot of government regulation that protects us now. Um, that's why, even though I'm on the show Moonshiners very frequently, mm-hmm. I, I still recommend someone buy from a store versus a, a Moonshiner. Well, it's interesting. You know, you look at the, the branding on the, on the agency. Of course, I'm going to bring it back to advertising. But, um, <laughs> but like, so, so I'll drink Jefferson's, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, and you, you probably wouldn't. I imagine that's like, Trash, but well, Jefferson's. I'm like, okay, Jefferson's I'll drink is it. fine. But like, you know, do, does it really have anything to do with 
anything that was consumed by Thomas Jefferson or anyone of that era, probably not, is my assumption. My assumption is this is a marketing ploy. There's no IP like associated with them, so you can just slap them on there and go inspired by the whatever. Well, I, I so to that point, Jefferson has a very important whiskey connection. Yeah. Uh, he was not a whiskey drinker. He actually did not like whiskey. Huh. Uh, he was a wine drinker. Okay. But Thomas Jefferson repealed uh, the whiskey tax in 1802, and George Washington put that whiskey tax on uh, on the books to pay for the Revolutionary War, and it caused a huge disruption in our country because the distillers were like, fuck you, we're not paying taxes, we just got done fighting for this country. So they tarred and feathered like all the tax collectors. And in response, uh, uh, Washington got troops, federalized troops against our own people who were whiskey distillers. What? And Jefferson gets into office and he's looking, you know, Adams just kind of like let Washington's policies live. Jefferson gets into office and uh, repeals it because he thought it was like a bad thing for our country to tax businesses this way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why he's heralded mm-hmm. on that bottle and being for so important for whiskey. And the Louisiana Purchase opened things up too for whiskey distillers. So Jefferson is on that bottle, kind of an honor of him, but the greatest American president of all time was President Taft. The guy, the guy who whoa, got stuck whoa, whoa, in the bathtub. You're making a total statement about all presidents. We're not just lim- saying the best yeah. for whiskey. Right. We're saying the best of presidents. Like, no, no, the best whiskey president. Oh, okay, yeah, the best, best whiskey, whiskey president. president. Best like, whiskey wait president. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. So, <laughs> yes, well, so you got to realize most of my conversations are about whiskey. So, Understood. You know, yeah. I think that's fair. I just want to clarify that one. <laughs> no, Taft is known for being stuck in a bathtub, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those. Well, and, and t- you know, Teddy Roosevelt treated him horribly. Yeah. Right, I mean, he real. He's like, yeah, I got, I got you. I'll, I'll support you. And then he's like, wait, I want, I want my job back, and starts throwing him <laughs> under the bus. Poor well, guy. One of the, one of the many moments we'd see that out of a president. But uh, Taft actually gave bourbon its very first federal definition. Huh. So prior to Taft in 1909, uh, bourbon didn't have a definition, and so he gave it its first federal definition in, in 1964. Um, it actually became our country's first liquid to be protected, have geographical protection. So it is a, today bourbon can only be made in the United States of America. Okay, but this is the disconnect. We're talking about Japan. Japan was a purchaser. And they get to call it, well, let's see. Okay, so if I have Hibiki, that's Japanese whiskey, but it's not, they don't get to call it bourbon, huh? That's right, yeah, so so that's. you can't call it that unless you are within what? United States. You, anything in the U.S. So I can make bourbon in California. Yep, and there is bourbon made in California. In fact, let's go to that next one. This is a Wyoming bourbon. You okay. see there, you see Wyoming. Yeah. You see bourbon on there. Yep, yep. Uh, I also have Colorado bourbon over there. Okay. Um, and uh, in, I have Indiana bourbon. So this. Are you jealous? <laughs> do all in due, all in due time. So this is uh, Wyoming whiskey. They're uh, made in Wyoming, obviously. In this bottle, uh, this was uh, this is one of my contenders for best bourbon of the year right now. And it is when you buy this, you are uh, portion of the proceeds go to the National Parks Foundation. Which the national parks are incredible. I know they're amazing. What's your favorite I national park? I had no idea. Oh, uh, Statue of Liberty. Oh, how yeah. about that? Yeah, 
That's I mean, one. that's the amazing thing is that they kind of merged yeah. all the historic locations with the parks. So, but I've been watching the, um, I've been chipping away at the Ken Burns. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm just starting to get my mind around it. But I, I, I never knew growing up how important National Park Services is. Yeah. So that, I'm a, I'm a another, big fan. Another Roosevelt. Uh, was that's another the Roosevelt. man. Yep. Yeah. Yep, We're yep. talking a lot about Roosevelt on the show. Yeah. Oh, he's he's it. He did it. He's like the founding father of like conservation, right? Yeah. Okay. So so I I haven't taken the first sip yet. Mm-hmm. What I want to know is is there some sort of like palate cleanse we're supposed to do in between? Well, typically I have some soda water uh, uh-huh. to do, but I don't have any right now. That's so just okay. I, some I basic just don't water. Know if it's like yeah. if like if you're if you know shit about bourbon would you be putting something in between there if, if you're if you're yeah so i like i like to clean the palate yeah, off yeah. uh but like you know usually like a little bit of soda water will do the trick okay all right fair enough here's what i'm gonna, I'm gonna have a regular just a reg, just a little little swish of water will do the trick back you're gonna ask me my feelings about this aren't need, you? i'm gonna need some hydration myself okay all right first i smell with my mouth open mm-hmm. which i didn't know Okay, and swishing it around like this, is that all bullshit or what? No, I mean, actually, when you're swishing it around and you get it to your nose, you're pushing the you're pushing aroma up. So, wow. so, like, if you just have it here and it's sitting there for a bit, you're getting it like, you're just getting it, but if you... It clears so, your sinuses. Yeah. I'm going to snort this. <laughs> yeah, we do snort things on this show, but it's usually it's not whiskey. I don't snort that's, things. That's, I, that's a different, that's a different yeah, topic. Yeah, no, that's, that's not my deal. <laughs> but... No, also, but it's amazing. If you go from nostril, I feel like this too. this feels more yeah. potent. This is higher in proof, s- smelling than the others. Yep. So the proof on this guy, actually, no, this is only ninety-two proof. So the other two are higher. Only ninety-two. How high do you like to go? I can go pretty high, but it's not when it goes when it comes to whiskey. Higher proof isn't always better, but this is a. You know, so you can taste uh, you can taste some astringency here from the wood a little bit. Okay, but there's a big uh, brown sugar note in there as well. Brown sugar note. Yeah. Okay, and what is this going to set me back? Uh, this bottle, I think this was a. Let me Google it actually. I think this was a very. Wyoming whiskey. Did you get into um, Yellowstone? Oh yeah. You're into. When does the next one come out? I don't know when it's coming out. It needs to come out soon. Who's dead? Anybody? Uh, I think the woman Beth is definitely dead. No. Yeah. No way. That's impossible. I mean, the bomb blew up like right in her lap. No, but they they sacrificed the assistant. And she goes, she's like, don't open that. Like, she all of a sudden, like, yeah. knew that that was going to happen. And she was protected, but her assistant was the sacrificial lamb in that mm, particular case. I As were the mother of that child. That was heartbreaking. Well, they didn't kill the kid, did they? I don't think they killed the kid. I don't the think kid. they killed the kid. But they that, killed the that was heartbreaking. Because I thought she was going to be the you assassin. you got empathy for strangers. I do. You really do, because yeah. they really hadn't given you any backstory on her. You didn't know anything about her. 
Yeah. So but I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a father, and just to think about like that. How old are your kids? Seven and two. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we started late. Yeah. Well, <laughs> better late than never. You did it. Right. Boys, girls. Two boys. Okay. Hellions. There you go. Yeah. 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 Every single day, it's a battle. Good. All right. So, where, what are your thoughts here on the Wyoming whiskey? I like it. Um, you want more than that? Um, no, no. There's a, let's see, there's a brown sugar note that I'm experiencing. Um, <laughs> like I said, it's like, you, there's color palettes, there's feelings palettes. Like, are you happy, mad, angry? <laughs> like, and then there's like physical sensations. And I'm like, I have no vocabulary for this. There's like a, maybe you can diagnose me and tell me what's wrong with me, but I have a, like... I can't place the word on the experience. Okay. When it's so let's do feeling. this. Focus on what part of the tongue is it hitting. Okay. So let's just do that. Is let's middle, go. Let's go. Tip, back, hold sides. On, hold on, hold on. All right. Around the the edges and then back of the roof. Okay. Mm-hmm. So on the tongue, you feel it on the back, on mm-hmm. the roof, and on the edges. S- sides of the top, okay. sides of the tongue, kind of a ring around. All right. So that's your bitterness side. So that falls in line with what I had said about you know the tannic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is bitterness. Mm-hmm. And so think of like the inside of a walnut shell or uh, any kind of like uh, leather. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you played baseball and you chewed on, it's a side door. Go to the side there. Slide, slide, slide. Slider. There we go. I did it too. Quiet, so I didn't the flow. Uh, I you're listen. doing great. You're doing, you're doing great. All right, you're awesome. I'd be so jealous if I were you right now. Um, <laughs> okay. By the way, you should you should do whiskey therapy. I I've been known to do that. Like, what does this say about my mother? Well, you know, um, how does this make you feel? You know, how how does this whiskey make you feel? Um, at ease. Okay. Um, I might miss my flight, but I might not worry about it. I feel good. That's good. I feel connected and to if, you right now. That's awesome. This is good. We're bonding. Mm-hmm. And I if think. you missed that flight, you weren't supposed to be on it anyway. You know what? This is the flight right here. That's, this is the only flight I'm worried about. It's a legit flight. It's a good flight. And Thank your you. favorite was, is it still the old Fitzgerald? I, first one is still the winner. Well, why don't but we, this why don't is we, all solid stuff. Why don't I mean, we pour to that? You know, grab your, your old Fitz. Yes, sir. Actually, can I grab a fresh yeah, one? Grab just a fresh I one, sure. It. I don't remember which one. Yeah. Mm. Don't get me wrong, though. It's all wonderful. Well, there is always going to be a favorite. Did you get a price check on this? Did I get a price check? You were Googling. Oh. You were using that, uh, well, yeah. that machine that tells you I, everything, all the world's knowledge. I, I did, and it didn't seem right. So this, is a, this was a limited edition, uh-huh. and I think, I think it was like four or 500 bucks. Cause it come I in. hope that these people give this all to you for free. Because of the exposure, I hope that you get. You don't have to say anything. I just, I hope <laughs> well, I that get, you get the best shit sent to your house. I, I get it for like sampling, for like reviewing, and you know the thing is, somebody will send me, uh, you know, someone sent me like a four or five hundred dollar product to, mm. the other day, and I, I reviewed it, and I was like, this is not any good, you know, you know. So it's, it's. Uh, I'm a, I'm a critic. Damn. I'm still a critic, you know, and. Um, you know what Teddy Roosevelt said about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> he did not like critics. <laughs> what? He didn't like critics. <laughs> well, he didn't say he didn't like them. He just said they don't count. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm fucking with you, but. Well, it, it, in, in the age of the critic, I feel like yeah. I feel like I'm I'm kind of like a last of Mohicans kind of thing because it's just yeah. it's just changing, you yeah. know. And again, going from the written word, wait, like wait, wait, last of the Mohicans in what sense? It's like I feel like the critic is dying, like like the huh. actual like because it, it's not that it's the individual critic is dying. Like I feel like the more of the group critic is is what's more common and popular. Tell me about that. Um, you know, so Yelp, yeah. right? Yeah, everybody's a critic. Everybody's, everybody's a critic. Everybody's a journalist. Yeah. Everybody's a critic. Mm-hmm. And there's no barrier to entry to right. know what's a real critique. Mm-hmm. Do you have to follow the same notion of like journalistic integrity practices as a critic, as somebody that's like on a beat breaking news? Uh, so I I have very high ethical standards. Yeah. Um, and I do my best to to follow that. I do my best to byproduct I'm reviewing. Yeah. Sometimes it is impossible. Sure. Uh, and so like. Well, and you're reviewing. This has cost you a fortune. Exactly. And so like you're looking at like I I basically tell people like getting a whiskey sample is like being a sports reporter and going to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Within my YouTube page, within my uh, website, you know, I have disclosure that say, like, I accept media samples. Mm-hmm. So, per per FTC, that's what you need to do. So yeah. I do, so, I do it. But, like... Well, and that's what I'm trying to do. So, so I don't want to take this conversation too off course. But, like, so we started this um, initiative called the Media Roundtable because I fear that without all this oversight you know, like, the inmates are running the asylum a little bit. It's very destructive because anybody can say anything without any checkpoints, right? without any standards and practices. You don't know what their motives are. You don't know what mm-hmm. the filtering has been. And and so we're, we're trying to establish a set of, you know, journalistic standards that wouldn't be unusual, like, 40 years ago, but today are virtually absent because we've gone into this, you saw network, like that's the reality we're living in all of a sudden, right? And there needs to be, I think, a movement to bring it back to the type of reporting and analysis and even uh, uh, for critics, the the types of things that have gone by the wayside because everything's Yelp and it's all trash. Mm -hmm. No, I I, I agree. And, And those who are like legitimate critics, get caught up in being uh criticized and and like in and so with that it, the critics being critical getting criticized it is it is a like when you have someone who is doing their job like journal journalists like yeah but you're a journalist yeah. and by the way i have tremendous respect for that so i didn't mean to i i'm teasing you about the teddy roosevelt thing but like it's right. important it's actually important yeah what you do and the fact that you're actually um, you're actually set. You have a criteria. You have a rubric for this stuff. You're not just shooting off the, you shooting from the hip. Going, this is good. This is bad because I feel like it, or because this is what I've always been taught. 
like you're trying to bring some journalistic integrity to this stuff. And I'm saying that's a lost art. It's a real problem yeah. and it's pervasive and I, with what you do and it's pervasive with the news. And I don't think it's I don't think it's coming back. I mean, I think You think it's gone. I think I think I think it has I, to come back or we're dead. Well, you know, so you remember there was a period of yellow journalism. Yeah. You know, and and so, you know, we had yellow journalism and then, you know, proper journalism came back, but you have to go to how things are uh, taught. And you have, you know, when I was in, you know, journalism classes, I was taught to um, that every adverb and adjective yeah. uh, must be connected to someone saying it, or yeah. whether indirectly or directly. Yeah, like you could not just use those freely. You open up any paper today or get on any website, conjecture. It, it, there's so much, and even like the headlines. Uh, it'll say something like so and so says something without proof. Yes. Well, how do you know they don't have proof? You didn't look, you know. And so, like, they'll just say like, or or the experts say headline. Yeah. Well, who the fuck are the experts? Right. You know. Right. And and then you science, have scientists, people talking about scientists. I saw a podcast episode came out like a week ago. Said uh, I can't trust any of the scientists because they've all gone mad. Now, like, he's being hyperbolic, but what does that do to trust in this country yeah. of institutions? And people don't trust media for that reason. I feel like there has to be a return to what you're doing. And I feel like you, as one of the last of the Mohicans, need to rise up again because, because there's a demand for it. There's a need for it. And we're experiencing the fallout of that as a country. Yeah. You know, so I, I mean, that's what we're pushing for. Yeah. It's like legitimacy. I, it's not that we it, like we're so early in this like revolution with the internet. We don't know what we're actually dealing with exactly. No. yet. we see depression rates, we see suicide rates, we see addiction, and it's a, and like culturally, we're in a very bad space. But I don't know that it's even occurred to most of us how much poison we're actually right. Right. But same thing with the Industrial Revolution or like turn of the century, you know, you needed people like Roosevelt to come in and go, we're going to get this under control and we're going to create some infrastructure and some standards and practices. And I feel like that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah. So anyway, all that is to say your type of critic does count is very important and it's what the world needs it's what america needs for america <laughs> america sorry well, i got on a soapbox i like so, that I, though but man hey thanks for coming on um we definitely could talk about this uh, all day yes i think i should have you in the studio in louisville i would like that so we have a little if bit more access. Me, yeah, so we can I have a little bit more access. Pop for this. <laughs> we got a lot of good stuff in, in, in the office, so have you come over and we'll do another segment. Do you like cigars? Um, so I used to be way into cigars, and then then I got into cigarettes, and then I stopped doing all that. Oh, yeah, that's I, a bad drop. That's But that's while I was a teenager. Ah, okay. Like, I was like a 15-year-old smoking cigars and playing chess and yeah. thinking I was really cool, right? But um, but I haven't done it in a while. I'm um, I'm open, and, and because you probably have good ones. Sure. Although, you know, I did the same thing on cigars when I was a teenager that I did on the alcohol when I was older. I'd take the, the wrappings on them, and I'd rank them. For myself. Oh, right on. And I got the, my, you know, the like, 
the marquee was the the Romeo and Juliet uh, Churchill. Ones. Yeah, good ones. Right? That mm-hmm. was like... They're good. That was it. So anyway, I would do that with you. Well, I think we have a cigar and a bourbon. And, uh, you know, for, for round two of, you know, Saving America. How about I top that off? I'm down. All right, man. This Dan, is great. Thanks, thanks a lot for coming on the Thank show. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I look forward to the next time and maybe doing some more stuff together. Yeah, I hope I don't regret anything that I've said here. You must get great stuff out of people. Usually. Then, then they call and say, hey, can you edit that out? <laughs> <laughs> I'll get some stories for you, but man. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Just want to say a big shout out to, uh, to Nashville Barrel for hosting us again. Uh, and to Dan, Dan Granger, who I think is going to go up there as one of our top uh, podcast interviews. Just because, you know, we broke the norm. We broke the norm on that show. And afterward, you know, he had to rush to get to get to his flight. And, you know, we could have hung out and talked all day. You know, Dan was one of those guys that I can tell you uh, we're going to be friends for a while. I found him to be so fascinating, and I can't wait to go to Los Angeles, take, to, take him to a couple of my favorite bars there, like Seven Grand in L.A., just such a, such a cool dude. And I'm excited to, to continue that relationship. And go check out his company. It's called Oxford Road. It's a great success story. Great success story. But uh, again, one, one last shout out to DraftKings for sponsoring the show. Big, big fan of them and so excited to have them on the Fred Minnick Show. And if you all want to support me, make sure you head on over to uh, DraftKings.com. Download the app and uh, enter a $5 deposit for a shot at winning millions of dollars. Just enter the code FRED, that's F-R-E-D, at DraftKings for a shot at millions of dollars in prizes. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. But that's going to do it for this week, folks. If you'd be so kind, uh, hit us up with the review and however you get this podcast. And also, give us a follow on the social medias. Just look for my name, Fred Minnick. Until next week, cheers. Oh, and remember, vodka sucks. You've been listening to The Fred Minnick Show, brought to you by 291 Colorado Whiskey, by Michter's, by Heaven Hill Brands, and DraftKings. Enter Fred at DraftKings.com for a chance at millions of dollars in prizes with first deposit. For more information about Fred's books, articles, and more, just go to FredMinnick.com.